0: Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler.
1: Hey what's up everybody this is SGX coach Mike Diebler and welcome to episode 40 of the OCR Underground Show. Thank you so much for making this a part of your day and a part of your training routine. I'm doing the best I can to help you train a little bit smarter for your next race keeping you injury free while still performing your best. Now depending on where you are it might have been a pretty crazy week and weekend uh, with the weather and uh, Hurricane Irma and uh, if you are listening this and were affected by the storms at all I hope everything is okay and uh, you guys can get back home, have power, all all of those things. Um, but I know it's it's been a little crazy with this weather and um, hopefully we we get a little break now and can get uh, to rebuilding and get back on track. But if you're listening to this, I know you have resilience. I know you're going to pick up the pieces and, and keep moving on. And when you're ready, you can get back to training and uh, start having fun and, and getting back to these races. Um, speaking of races, this weekend is uh, Killington, the Vermont Beast and Sprint. Uh, my family and, uh, are heading out there. We're going to have an awesome weekend. We're also going to be in Connecticut. I mentioned last weekend, or in the last episode, uh, we'll be doing the Kyle Milliken uh Memorial Run at the University of Connecticut Five Mile Run. If you're in the area, would love to see you out there. It's a great cause. Again, I'll put some links in the show notes. Uh, if you care to make a donation or just want to learn more about Kyle and and all the great things that he has done. Uh, But let's get into this week's episode. Uh, As always, I have some great stuff for you. Uh, The first segment we're going to go is Inside Mike's Mind, where I'm going to talk about some different strategies for the Twister. I know this is just a a really challenging obstacle for many people that face it, and there are lots of different strategies that you can take to get through it, and I want to talk about a few of them and just kind of give you some tips uh for the next time that you see this obstacle Uh, also in our race recap we have coach uh john oblodgett from malcolm mckay fitness in hawaii and he's going to give the race recap for the hawaii uh, beast and in our research review we're going to talk all about how you can predict your injuries before they happen using something called hrv or heart rate variability and then finally we have coach uh, Anne LaRuan who's going to give us some essential uh, pre-race nutrition fueling tips uh, and and really just a whole bunch of different uh, things you really need to consider leading up to your race. So I know she'll be out in Vermont this weekend and she's working with a lot of clients that are going to be out there. So she's kind of giving you her secrets that she's uh, using with her clients and with herself to help get her clients and herself ready for uh, for a tough race that I'm sure we're going to see this weekend. So let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to the Inside Mike's Mind segment. This is where I just have some things on my mind and um, want to share them with you. They could be training topics. Uh, there's other things that I notice as um, I, I am training, training clients, or, or racing. And I wanted to talk about the debate that I've been seeing online, or I don't know if debate's the right word, but the uh, the twister obstacle. So obviously, this is a very difficult obstacle, high failure rate, and uh, there's this kind of uh, questioning of is what's the best way to go through it. And is it to go forward? Is it to go sideways? And first off, I have to say, whatever way gets you through it without doing burpees is the best way. Um, That being said, just some things to consider if you're still not sure and you haven't quite figured out the best way for you to do it yet. Um, So the two ways that you're going to see is going to be kind of the forward way, which is almost like monkey bars. So you are going to be facing towards the end the entire time, and you're going to kind of swing uh, from one handle to the next. And I've seen lots of people do it, actually, at the Boise Sprint. I stood at the finish line waiting for my wife to finish, and I just wanted to see all the different techniques, and I saw a lot of people completing the obstacle, doing it that way and not having any issues. Um, and then the other way is going to be the sideways. Um, I'm a, I pre, uh, Preferably leading with your left hand. Um, again, if you can do it leading with your right hand, go for it. But when you're leading with your left hand, you have a much easier grasp grasp of that higher handle so it's just going to be way easier to get through Um, so there's there's definitely pros and cons of each and one big thing I wanted to mention with the forward approach where you're going through like monkey bars you have to be really careful to control your body movement because what's going to happen if you're swinging like you were on the rings or on monkey bars you're going to see your body's going to start to swing side to side and um, I'm gonna put pictures in the show notes of a couple people I saw doing this and you're gonna see how far side to side they're actually swinging. And um, so this one person in particular that I saw doing it, he, was, he would have been taking out the next two or three lanes on each side. And he actually ran into another person next to him quite a few times. Um, they did both make it through. But just think how you would feel if either one, you got hit by somebody swinging side by side and you fell because they hit you or if you were to take somebody out because you were swinging side to side. And just in terms of efficiency, you want to get to the finish as fast as possible. And any movement side to side is just a waste of energy and it's it's not moving you closer to your goal, which is that bell. So again, just something to be aware of. You can absolutely do it facing forward and not swinging side to side. But I just saw when people were really trying to to use it like a ring or a monkey bar, um, they were really losing control of their body and swinging side to side. So uh, just make sure you, you keep that core tight and you should be able to do that sideways, uh, facing forward. If you're gonna do it sideways, again, this is my preferred technique. Um, anytime you only have one hand on a bar, a ring or whatever it is, you're just that much more likely to slip, lose your grip and then that's it, you're done. Um, when you're going side to side, it's very it's a very short amount of time that you only have one hand on the handle. So it's just, again, more of a a safety or security blanket for me, I guess, that I'll go through sideways. Um, The main thing is if you're gonna go through sideways, one, if you can keep that flexed arm hang where you kind of have that 90 degree bend, uh, I I just think that's the best approach because you can reach the next handle the easiest as you go across. But I also saw people doing it from a full dead hang um, and still able to swing so now if you're swinging side to side it's actually taking you forward and then back and then forward so you can use that swing to actually help you get to the next uh, ring or handle Um, the main thing is you have to be careful if you're going sideways is you those are small handles you really don't want both hands on the same ring so you, you have to make sure you leave a space you lead with your left hand there's one open in the middle then you grab that next one and then you lead with the left then you grab the next one so each hand has its own own uh, handle on there, so just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, the main thing I've just noticed with the forward approach is just that side to side swing, that it's wasted energy, and just be careful with other racers. Look at the pictures that I put in the show notes, and you'll see um, uh, there was actually one with a group of people, and they were all doing it and all bumping into each other, and not many of them made it through because you know it's it's much harder when somebody's hitting you. So. That being said, find the best approach that works for you. Play around with it. I, some people go backwards, and I've seen them get through it that way, and that that works too. Uh, so hopefully that helps you uh, at least figure out some different approaches. All right, I wanted to add something to that. Now, when I recorded that last footage you just heard, um, that was actually a couple months ago, and I've been just trying to find a spot to get it in the podcast, and I finally released it in this episode. And, uh, of course, as I release it, in my last race I talked about last week, with the twister, um, and Coach John was going to talk about this in his race recap, uh, I recently played around with going backwards, and I, I just felt like I had to add something to my, um, my talk that, that you just listened to, and I have to say it's probably my, my new favorite technique. So uh, I still think everything I just talked about is relevant going forward, watching the side-to-side movement. Um, sideways is still great, and I still feel very comfortable with that method, but um, in the Hawaii trifecta weekend since i was going to see that obstacle a couple times i wanted to play around with it so i did my normal sideways approach the first time made it through and then i figured well in the super let's mess around and let's try it backwards and i have to say it was incredibly easy to get through it that way it was a little weird just looking backwards um but it was not a very far reach to get to the next handle it was just kind of a hand over hand motion and i do feel like that is a pretty solid technique um i do want to throw one thing in there it's very easy if you can maintain that flexed uh, arm hang as you go through it if you're completely in a dead hang i don't know if that's the best method you you might want to stick with that side to side movement because i think you can get a better swing than forward and backwards so it just kind of play around with with um how you can hang on a bar so if you can get a little bit of a flex flex in that elbow it's a lot easier to reach the next one and it just kind of pops right in front of your face and it's it's really easy to grab so i i think that's my new technique i do want to play around with it a few more times um but if you haven't played around with going backwards it's it's worth trying if if you don't mind risking maybe a a few, uh, few burpees in case you miss it, but I do think it was a, a good strategy. So um, a good way to test it out is grab a pull-up bar, potentially a long one if you have it, and just try going backwards and kind of walking hand over hand backwards and forwards so you can kind of see what that technique would, would kind of feel like without actually practicing on, on the twister. So just wanted to throw this in there before we move on to the next segment. I hope that helps you guys out.
0: Aloha everyone, this is SGX Coach Jono with Malcolm Mackay Fitness located out in Hawaii and I'm here to give you the race recap for the Hawaii Trifecta weekend. Standing up to Hawaii reputation, it was a gorgeous, sunny, beautiful day with a slight breeze which meant it got very hot out and this caused a lot of difficulty for some people. I'm going to give you the quick race recap for the Beast. Straight out of the gun, we were put into a, a river uh, about 50 yards or so. At some points, this did get deep. I'm six foot four, and I wasn't even able to t- touch through some sections. So people were forced to actually swim. So not too far, only about 15, 20 yards or so. But this did cause a little slow up uh, for a lot of people. After the river, we were sent up a, a pretty steep climb, steady, uh, steady hill for a good three-quarters of a mile, and sent straight into a few walls, your standard walls, the Atlas Carry and the Bucket Brigade. Bucket Brigade wasn't as bad as other places. Um, you know, standard hill wasn't too, too terribly long, so that one wasn't, as, wasn't too bad. After the bucket brigade, ran for a little bit more, quite a few more hills. There is a lot of climbing in this race. If many of you are familiar with Jurassic Park, that's where this race uh, is ran, where they filmed that. So imagine a lot of of tropical vegetation and lots of hills. So for the beast, they sent us straight up into a uh, more of a single track trail. Um, Wasn't really much room to pass people. And so this also caused a slow up for for a lot of the elite. Uh, it's muddy, slippery, grabbing roots and any trees that you can along the way. Uh, coming out of the out of the trail, we're sent back into another river, and you know these are rivers with a lot of rocks, boulders, and things. Slippery, not good stable footing. So definitely had to be careful running through these. There's definitely some some. Ankle breakers going through there. Uh, standard Z wall, and then back into onto a single track trail. Except uh, this one was more of a downhill, so trying to go at steady pace down the hill. Again, sliding, a lot of mud, holding onto branches, and uh, trying to get around people. Definitely a cause for a, a hazard. Uh, straight after that went into our twister. I first experienced the twister back in the New Jersey Tri-State race and attempted it both sideways and forward and and didn't have much luck. So this time I attempted the backwards technique and it was a piece of cake. Definitely recommend if you're going to come up on the twister, attempt that backwards technique. You can get a lot more momentum in that direction. Uh, Just make sure to tilt that head back and look where you're going to be placing your hand next. Uh, finished off with a, a good, steady, long barbara crawl as, as standard Spartan style. Then straight into the Hercoist and sandbag carry. Sandbag carry is your, your standard pancake. Uh, fun part was this. They sent you up a hill, sent you back down. You thought you we were done, and then they sent you back up the hill in a different direction. So fairly long sandbag carry, which was nice uh through a couple more river crossings to the spear throw and then finished off with the olympus an all ring multi-rig and finally the uh rope climb so great little course i always love it it's in my backyard but if you're coming from the mainland to experience hawaii be sure to stock up with lots of electrolytes drink lots of water it gets very hot out there so um, try to keep your core temperature down as much as possible dumping water on yourself and uh, drinking lots of water as well mike it was great to see you out there i know you had some great races did the trifecta so love to hear what you have to say about the sprint and the super see you in tahoe
1: All right, thank you, Jono, for an awesome race recap. It was great seeing you out there, and I do want to give him a quick shout-out and a congratulations for earning his coin to race in the Elite Heat for the Tahoe World Championship, so an awesome accomplishment. Uh, but now we're moving on to our research review, and I have a uh, hot off the presses. this is from September 2017 from the journal of sports science and medicine and it's talking about hrv and i've talked about this on previous podcasts uh, hrv or heart rate variability and i won't get into all the details of it you can listen to uh, some of the older podcasts about it but essentially it's looking at your um it's using the the time intervals between your heartbeat to determine kind of your recovery based on your nervous system status whether you're a little bit more parasympathetic or um uh, sympathetic nervous system is more active. So, sympathetic being our fight or flight, parasympathetic being our rest and digest. And we want that balance there where sometimes you need to get up and go and push a hard workout and. And crank up that sympathetic nervous system, and then other times we need it to calm down and and recover and uh, help repair from some of those tough workouts. So this is something I'm a big proponent in. So anytime I see research in this topic, I'm I'm a big fan to see how it supports some things that I've been doing myself and with my clients. And uh, the title of this start study was "Heart Rate Variability is a Moderating Factor." in the workload injury relationship of competitive CrossFit athletes. So kind of it says exactly what they found in this study, but what they did is they looked at six competitive CrossFit athletes over 16 weeks, had them do daily HRV training. They also sent them weekly kind of questionnaires to look at their injury status and overtraining. And um, that's exactly what they wanted to do is look at uh, any overuse injury. So they wanted to compare their their acute and chronic workloads, so kind of how hard they were working out to injuries, and they were looking at different joints of the body like their knees, their wrists, their low back, their elbows, et cetera, kind of some common areas that these athletes will see injuries. And so they'll find that overuse injuries are due to abnormal inflammation response, and um, this disrupts the remodeling process. So if there's uh, too much inflammation, the body's going to have a hard time recovering. And we can see this effect in the nervous system. And kind of the theory of this study was, to, well, if it's affecting the nervous system, then we can use HRV to kind of predict when people are going to start to see these injuries. And that's exactly what they found. Um, uh, after this study was completed, they looked at all the HRV numbers that the athletes reported. They looked at their report of injuries, and uh, they also looked at their workloads and their workouts to see which workouts were higher intensity and which ones were more lower intensity. And they found that when they saw a, a chronic workload increase, meaning that they were doing higher intensity workouts but um, consistently back to back over time, they would start to see a decrease in heart rate variability, a decrease meaning they are less recovered, and uh, they're more sympathetic dominant. And this was uh, actually correlated with a higher risk of, of injury. So uh, basically what they found was that HRV is a non-invasive predictive tool to help prevent injuries and it's just a simple thing that you can do every morning there's apps out there i'll put the app in the, the show notes a link for it to see the one that i i use but there's a ton of them out there um i use one called hrv for training really simple i like because you don't need a heart rate monitor you just use your phone uh take your your heart rate it measures your heart rate variability and it gives you a score and you kind of see if it's if it's dropping down below your normal that you kind of have this uh, uh Tool to see, hey, is today worth it? And look at risk reward. What is uh, the goal of today? And if if I'm trying to push a hard workout, and I've noticed my HRV is consistently low, um, these are kind of signs telling that that your body might not be ready for a workout like this. And not that you're going to get hurt just because your heart rate variability is low. This is just one thing to look at, but it's just maybe. Today is not the best day to do it. Maybe you have a big race coming up and you, you don't wanna take the chance. Wait till you're a little bit more recovered, do more of a recovery day or even a recovery week, and then when that HRV increases again, you can hit those workouts hard. So uh, it's just one thing to look at. You know, Make sure you're doing the right things to recover. You're, you're eating right, you're sleeping, you're hydrating, uh, all those good things to make sure you're recovered and then hopefully your HRV is reflecting that and then you can hit those workouts nice and hard.
2: Hey Spartans, SGX coach and registered dietitian Anne LaRue here to talk a little bit about race day preparation. So I'm working with a lot of clients right now that are getting ready to run Killington, as am I. Can't wait, ready for it to finally get here. So one of the final pieces that we're working on is really getting the strategies in the week leading up to the race as as well as race day prep um, kind of all lined out. And this is where people do really well overall. Uh, from a whole as far as training standpoint, but when it comes to the actual days leading up to the race, they kind of almost consider that their nutrition is just gonna take care of itself. And just like any other piece of the puzzle, this is really gonna be where it comes into play the most. So let's take a little look at some of the guidelines that I use with my clients. Let's start with the two to five days that are leading up to the race, the week before. What I really urge clients to do is make sure that they're eating really clean, meaning minimize any sort of processed foods, keep everything, uh, vegetables, fruits, proteins, not necessarily lean proteins because we need some source of fats, but trying to make sure that we're eating really good foods that is gonna provide tons of nutrition. One of the things that you have to keep in account is that most people are traveling in those few days, perhaps you know one or two days before the race you're traveling to get to get to the Killington area. so make sure that you don't leave this to gas station or fast food choices? Do you want to make sure that you're stocked up on foods that travel well but also stick with your nutrition plan? stocking up on nuts and seeds, sardines, fruits, things like that make sure that you're actually packing all of the food you could possibly need. If you don't end up using some of it, fine, but I would rather you have it with you in a cooler versus not having it at all. In the few days or in the week leading up to the race, I want to make sure that you're getting in seeds and almonds because I want us to focus on getting enough magnesium and calcium into the diet. These are some of the electrolytes that are forgotten. People are often thinking about cramping, but they're thinking about sodium and potassium, but they're also just thinking about cramping the day of the race. They have their mustard packets and their pickle juice and they're all set, but they're not taking time the week before uh, leading up to it to make sure that they've stocked their body with all the electrolytes needed. So make sure nuts and seeds are on on your plan. We'll get to a little bit more on hydration later on and why hydration doesn't just mean water. As you taper down your workouts this week, make sure you keep your carb intake the same as you would during workout days. So I'll get the question from clients about carb loading. And now this is very individualized based on the person's metabolic efficiency and how long I've been working with them as far as getting the body to use more fats versus carbohydrates for fuel. But in general, when people ask me about carb loading, what I say is I want you to think of it like this. As you taper down your workouts for the week, Keep your carb intake consistent as you would have if you would have been training. Now, obviously, again, very individualized. I'm hoping that people aren't fueling too much with carbohydrates uh, during their training weeks because people often take in more than we need, but making sure that there's no need to go excess on carbohydrates. Remember, we're not calorie loading, we're carb loading. And when we're carb loading, all we're really doing is tapering down the workouts and letting the carb intake stay the same. No need to take in extra carbs this week. We want to make sure that we also avoid taking in excess calories in general beyond what we're expending. So yes, maintain your carbohydrate intake, but also keep an eye on the fact that you're not doing perhaps those longer workouts or those extra workouts during this week. So dialing back down your calorie intake is going to be important this week because you don't want to go into the race feeling heavy. The two days prior to the race, this is where we're going to start getting into a little bit of your hydration plan. Remember, hydration is not meaning water. Hydration means fluids and electrolyte balance. So the two days prior to the race... I recommend that my clients replace roughly 75% of your water intake with an electrolyte replenishment drink. And that can be whatever it is that you're comfortable with, whether that be coconut water, uh, Gatorade, noon tablets, whatever your choice is, but replace 75% of your body water needs with an electrolyte beverage. The reason for that is because a lot of people focus on taking in a lot of water But what they don't realize is that they may be flushing their body of the electrolytes and therefore throwing it off balance. And part of their cramping on race day might actually be because they drank too much water and threw things out of balance. So we want to make sure that we're really creating a good base as far as electrolyte intake in the days leading up. By the time it comes to race day, we're already in it. Let's start forming that base beforehand. Okay. The day before your race, this is what I tell clients that is often so confusing to them because they're thinking strictly about nutrition, but I'm thinking about uh, gut motility and being nice and clean and light come race day. So the day before your race, no veggies, no whole grains, no high fiber foods. I do want you to keep fruits in the diet, but if you're taking in bread, pasta, or rice, I want you to make it a white version that digests quickly and can evacuate the bowels by race morning. So a whole wheat pasta dinner is not what I'm wanting the night before the race because I don't want my body to slowly digest that and take a while to absorb. I want to hurry up, digest it, get what I need from it and let it move on out before I hit that race the next morning. So think simple digesting foods the day before. Nothing high fiber. You can go back to worrying about nutrition after the race is over. Race day breakfast should be eaten three to four hours prior to your start time, consisting primarily of carbohydrates. But again, that's individualized based on how metabolically efficient the person is. If I've been working with a client on using more fats for fuel, your carbohydrate intake may be less than others. But The big piece of the takeaway there is that breakfast should be eaten three to four hours prior to your start time because it needs to be of decent size. It needs time to digest and break down. So if that means getting up at 4.30 in the morning because you have an elite start time then that's exactly what that means. Those are some of the things that we want to factor in. My family definitely knows it. As we're going camping, I let them know. Getting up at 4.30, and I make that all my breakfast is laid out the night before. And so when I get up, I can just get it in my body, let it start digesting so that come race time, um, it's ready to do its job. One hour before my start time, I try to have another carbohydrate just because I think mentally it works well for me. I just have a half of a banana. I used to try to get in a full one, but it isn't enough for me. So about an hour out taking in something. And again, you want it to be a quick digesting food that is really not going to sit in the stomach all that much during, at the start of the race when your adrenaline is pumping. 15 minutes before my start, I do definitely try to have a an energy gel. Again, I think this may play in more mentally for me, but I take the one that has a little bit of caffeine, some amino acids, and it just kind of gets me going. If anything, it tricks my body into realizing, okay, we're going to have to start going here. So as soon as I get that on my taste buds, I start feeling ready to roll. During the race, I want people to fuel early and fuel often. Again, I'll go back to saying this is very individualized based on how efficient you are, but I find that most of my clients that are in their first year or two of racing that haven't uh, that are just getting their nutrition under wraps, one of the things that they don't do enough of is fueling early and fueling often. And it may not even be something that you realize you're missing out on until you actually try it the next time. So I recommend, and this is, you know, we're talking about beast distance here. So this is a little different. I wouldn't make the same recommendation for, say, a sprint or sometimes even a super. We're talking beast. So during the race, fueling early and often. I I have most of my clients plan to take their first fuel between 30 and 45 minutes in. I want them to stay ahead of the hunger, stay ahead of that wall. And then I want them to try to continue that pattern every 30 to 45 minutes after that. If their stomach starts to feel upset, then I will say, okay, skip one of those, skip it. But don't abort the mission altogether and say, okay, I can't fuel anymore, my stomach hurts. Avoid the next 30 to 45 minute bucket of fueling time and then try to get right back on track. If you can keep going every 30 to 45 minutes um, without any sort of stomach upset, then I say just keep going with it. Stay ahead of the hunger. You don't want to hit the wall in the last quarter of the race you may be thinking oh that was just it and uh you know I kind of petered out and I got tired and it was such a long race but what if some of that was the fact that you didn't fuel often enough so let's try to rule that out as long as you're not having any sort of GI upset then it's not necessarily going to hurt anything That's also another reason why I do recommend people try to bring some mixed sources of gels, whether, you know, whatever that be for you. Like, for example, if somebody wants to have some that are sweet tasting and some that are more tart, perhaps they want to have some chocolate and vanilla flavored ones, but then on the other side they want to have uh, salted watermelon or mandarin orange. Trying to keep those fuels... Um, varied so that you're not getting sick and perhaps even having a nice uh, sweetened nut butter one like a Justin's vanilla or honey nut butter just just to kind of have a little bit different fueling source later on sometimes that little mental piece of having something that actually tastes good versus having to choke down another gel could just be that boost that we need A final piece is keep an eye on the weather forecast for race day. Is it going to be hot, humid, cool? And then adjust, be ready to adjust the needs of your hydration plan on that day. If you're going to be sweating a lot, perhaps you need to make sure that your electrolyte and hydration plan is a little bit different than if it were to be on a cooler day where you're probably going to be shivering a little bit more than you're going to be sweating. Now, that's not to say that we're not going to lose fluids on that day. We lose fluids in many ways other than sweating, and so you're going to want to stay up on that. But the humidity and the heat is definitely going to play a role. If you haven't done a sweat test to find out how much you specifically sweat over an hour's worth of hard activity, then that may be something you want to try too. So these are some of the recommendations that I give to my clients as we work towards a race. Again, many of these are individualized, and a lot of the people that I've been working with, we've been working together for weeks months or even years. So we're dialed in a little bit more on theirs, but these can be some of your general recommendations. I often work with clients through this process and then after what we do is we strategize what worked, what didn't, and then we come up with a plan for the next race. And a lot of these, we're not just coming up with this a few days before or a week before the race. This is something that we've trialed and errored over the course of their training period. So we're kind of doing like breaking the cardinal rule of don't change anything major right before the race. which is definitely what I do not do with my clients. We've, we've practiced these, we've trained these, we've done some trial and error and had some practice runs going on on the weekend and really dialed in a lot of their fueling and hydration needs. So that may be a definite route that we would want to take in the future. But at least if you heard any of these pieces today and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I didn't even think of half of those or that sounds way off from what I'm doing, just try to have an open mind and see, hmm, could some of these play into the success that I have during my next race? So with that, I'll be out there at Killington on Saturday morning and Sunday morning, so I look forward to seeing all my Spartan family. It's been since Barry race that I have done a race. All my bruises and scratches are all cleared up, so I know I'm due time for a race. So I look forward to getting out there back on the course with everybody, and I'll see you in Vermont.
1: Well, that's gonna do it for episode 40 of the OCR Underground Show. And again, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I know we didn't do our traditional uh, coach's interview, but don't worry, I have some more great interviews lined up for uh, some of the upcoming episodes. But we had so much in this one, I just wanted to at least get this one out as soon as I could, especially with uh, Killington coming up this weekend. Uh, Wanna give a big thanks to our guests, Coach Anne LaRue and John O'Blodgett for sharing their insight on training. I, I really hope you guys got some great tips and strategies and um, just insight into some different things that you can do for your own training program. If you've learned anything or feel that we've helped in any way, please give us a review in iTunes or however you might be listening to the show and definitely subscribe so you don't miss any of our shows. Uh, I try and get at least two out a month. If I can get more, I I always do my best to do that. And then finally, I just want to give a special thanks to our sponsors for making this all happen. Um, First, we have Designer Protein. You can check them out at designerprotein.com for all of your protein needs, whether it be whey or plant-based you can uh, uh, use code Premier 20 to get 20% off of your next order and also Mobilitas if you need some mobility tools foam rollers, peanuts, uh, mobility sphere and actually they're coming out with some mobility floss too so some pretty cool stuff with them you can check out their products at yourjointsshouldn'thurt.com. you can use code men's health for 10% off any order there so that's it go get busy training hard but don't forget to recover even harder see you guys soon